Simple Beep, episode 47, Avera. Hello, and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And this episode, we didn't really have planned a timed episode. Sometimes we plan our episodes around particular milestone events, like our last episode. We knew there was a big Apple event coming up, so it seemed thematic. But this one just kind of snuck up on us in the past couple weeks. But it turns out that there's a big anniversary of a game that we knew and loved, although it may not be the most beloved game by its creator or parent company, Ambrosia Software, but it was definitely in the uh, pantheon of Ambrosia games. And that game is Avera, and it just celebrated its 20th anniversary. And surrounding that, there were some events. There was a live stream on Twitch hosted by Scarlet Swordfish, one of the uh, longtime players of Avera. And we'll actually be talking with him later in the episode about how that event went. But this all kind of got the ball rolling for us to take a look back at Avera and how it was kind of a different and slightly groundbreaking game, especially we think of, I mean, when I think of the Ambrosia classics, they were really great at like 2D sprite-based games. And they started like with clones of uh, classic arcade games, like uh, Maelstrom was a clone of Asteroids, and Aperon was a clone of Centipede, and then they moved on to their own innovative 2D sprite-based games. But Avera is interesting because it's a fully 3D game. And it is now 20 years old. It came out in 1996. So if you've never played Avera, well, first of all, we highly encourage you to go and look at some of the gameplay footage from the Twitch event uh, that we'll link in the show notes. There's not much else uh, on the internet in terms of like gameplay footage. And, uh, they put together a pretty good, like three hours of gameplay. They had a really, really great event and showed off a lot of what Avera was capable of and how it looked. It had its own particular aesthetic, I think. But the main gameplay was that it was primarily an online multiplayer shooter game. And, not like a regular first-person shooter, like you're a dude with a gun. No, the characters in Avera were these tanks. They were kind of bipedal tanks that were called Hectors. So this was the Ambrosia stamp upon this <laughs> game because Hector, it says in the you know, in the help documentation or the website or whatever for Avera, it says that that stood for Hostile Environment Combat and Tactical Operations. So it's a special kind of mechanized tank. But we all really know that it's just a backronym from Hector the Parrot's name, who appears in many other Ambrosia games, notably as Captain Hector in the Escape Velocity franchise, who comes around and pesters you to register the game and eventually starts shooting at you. <laughs> but uh, Hector the Parrot, Hector D. Bird, was and still is a loved staple of the Ambrosia company as they continue on. I, as far as I know, Hector is still alive. Yeah, has an active Twitter. So here's to you, Hector. <laughs> um, but the the Hectors in Avera, I think the stereotypical one that or the default color was this green tank, and it was rendered in these this very simple polygon design, and it like I said, it was bipedal. So it the thing that it immediately called to mind for me is something like the ATST from Star Wars. Um, kind of the same type of design, uh, although I think the Hectors are significantly more nimble than the plodding ATSTs. Or something like things that lived on in other franchises. One that uh, I always think of as a good reference for this is Mech Warrior. Although that's more of kind of the. Uh, human exoskeleton type of of mech. Uh, but that franchise actually started before Avera and then persisted after it. And if you're looking for something that was kind of in the same vein, it offered a little bit of that. But we'll get into how the gameplay there be something a little bit different. Yeah, and I think maybe even most recently, the Titanfall series on Xbox One is maybe the most modern uh, bipedal tank even though that also is like a suit over uh, a human player. 
Yeah, but I and it's kind of ambiguous in the Avera world because it's so minimalist. The the hulls have what like could be a window, but it's just rendered in solid blue. So it is very much left open to interpretation. So in addition to the the 3D flat shaded polygons that make up the world, there's the the way that the game is played. Uh and this is something that I appreciate more when I go back and try to play old games like Avera is that it had mouse look. Uh, so you could uh, control where your Hector's weapons were firing with the mouse while also using the common WASD movement. Um, because I've been trying to play other old games, classic games like Dark Forces, which claims to have mouse look, but is a real pain to get set up. And like many other things that we'll discuss with Avera, uh, it got a lot of crucial gameplay things right and at smooth frame rates for being such an early game, relatively speaking. Yeah, so it does have some of that feel of a first-person shooter. And one of the things I think is interesting in that mouse look mechanic is true to it being a tank is that your mouse look is limited. Whereas in some modern first-person shooters, you have the ability to either turn with with your key movement or with one joystick and then also to look with uh the mouse or a second joystick and you can you can just keep looking around and around and around to the right and and turn a you know 360 degrees with the mouse but that's not possible because you're literally turning the head of or the top portion of the tank and if you're one of the other players, you can see that the feet aren't moving and the head is, and that's where the the guns and weapons are mounted. So if you turn more than about 90 degrees, you run out of look. And so you can get kind of stuck looking in the wrong direction. It's not like you just have this arbitrary camera that can kind of magically flip and turn around the way that it feels in some more modern, uh, modern FPSs. I'm thinking of something, you know, like halo or something like that where you have to really learn how to combine that just sort of free spinning to get the most the most flexibility and the most agility in the game and that was something that was always a little bit hard for me to do whereas here you know in in avera your feet are moving in one direction yeah and so the play was rather nuanced and actually rather complex so it centered around that very simple concept of wasd movement and mouse look but then there was an entire keyboard customization screen. And I think I'm going to try to screen cap a shot of this out of uh, and put it in the show notes because I haven't been able to find one already online. And it's really interesting. So it had a really robust customizable setup with about, I don't know, like 20 or 30 different controls. So you were not going to get by on just WASD and the mouse button and the space bar. Because in addition to your movement, you had multiple types of weapons, uh, and you had the ability to jump, which is not always present in first-person shooters of this type, but Avera was truly 3D. It wasn't sort of a a 2.5D on-rails kind of shooter. Like early Doom or Marathon. Right, where even if you were going upstairs, you were kind of glued to the ground. So no, your Hector had the ability to jump, and that was actually used in different levels. You could set the gravity. So in most levels, yeah, it was kind of 2.5D. You weren't going to be able to fly around the level, but some of them you could literally fly around the level. So in addition to your basic controls, you had to set up your weapons, and you would have to arm a weapon and then shoot it, although there was a secret little tactic that people used, uh, especially for the grenades in the game, is that you could assign multiple things to a single key. So you would assign arm grenade and shoot to a single key, and so it would just shoot it off instantly. And that was a really successful tactic. Um, One of the things with the missiles, uh, or whenever you armed a weapon, it showed up like holding it out in front of your tank. You could see it in your view, and you could also see it uh, on other players and you could like snipe the weapon out of kind of like out of their hands and it would blow up in their face and they would take damage so you didn't want to w- just wander around I, I think uh i think it was the rule was called no hats yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know like don't walk around with a missile strapped to your forehead because someone will blow it up and you will die um 
but there was really robust control. And then there was a whole set of additional controls for this interesting mechanic that was called the scout. So in addition to your tank, you had this little helicopter. It was, it was described in the, the stream that Scarlet Swordfish did as a drone, which is just like totally apt. Like we didn't have the word for this 20 years ago. It's like a single copter drone instead of like a quadcopter drone that you can actually fly around today, but it's a little drone that would follow you. And you had controls for your scout. You could navigate it and you could switch to its camera angle. And then you had camera controls. The the level of complexity for this is, I think, a game that maybe a lot of people have played that would be similar to this is in Mario 64, where that was, I think, the first game that a lot of people played where you had like independent third-person camera controls. And they de- dedicated that entire C-pad of the Nintendo 64 controller to that. And the same way here, you would dedicate a whole bunch of keys over to your scout control. And that was kind of the purpose of the scout but that's that's not exactly what it wound up being used for yeah i did not play a whole lot of avera because i came to it through other ambrosia games and then i was like oh everything ambrosia puts out i'm going to enjoy so i'll try everything yeah and we should point out that avera like all of these other classic ambrosia games are still available for direct download from their website yes and as we've mentioned already Avera shown really when you were playing multiplayer, whether over a local Apple Talk network or truly across the internet. And in the time that I was going through and playing all these Ambrosia games on a classic Mac in the late 90s, my house only had one phone line for dial-up. So the amount of time I could spend playing multiplayer was very limited. So I really only interacted with Avera through the single player levels that uh, were mostly bundled with it. And I think like many games that were intended to be primarily multiplayer, it had a single player campaign, but you could tell that it was not the primary focus and that it felt very different. But the Scout was one of the things that actually was kind of designed for the single player campaign, I think. Exactly. We have notes here about about the Scout. Uh, One of the things that I never figured out myself, but saw almost immediately in the stream is that. Uh, with well-timed jumps and scout placement, you could actually jump your Hector on top of the scout and ride it. Right, because what would happen is once you got on top of the scout, then you could use the scout controls that actually moved it still worked. They weren't relative to your position. They were kind of absolute controls. And so you're you're on a helicopter and you can just fly around now. <laughs> um, but in actual practice in the multiplayer games, The fact of the matter is that most people just hit the control that was like park scout. Mm -hmm. So because ordinarily it would just kind of follow behind you like a well-trained dog and, you know, just on your heels the whole time floating over you ready to do your bidding. But if you're in a multiplayer arena, that's just telegraphing your location because, oh, like there's a green helicopter flying over there. The green player must be immediately below it. So people would just park them at their initial spawn points or even just blow them up deliberately at the beginning of matches or just not care if they got blown up uh, later on. So the scout didn't really play a whole lot of a role in the more serious gameplay in Avera. We've also mentioned the other outfits that your Hector could have. Uh, Specifically with weapons, there were the standard kind of plasma lasers that uh, you had an infinite supply of but didn't need to recharge. You couldn't rapid fire just instantly, but you could get a you could get a pretty good pew 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 <laughs> pew. Uh, <laughs> seriously, like you know, you could get a good rhythm down where you would never run out of lasers. And then there were also finite heat seeking missiles and uh, lobable grenades. And all of this was tracked along this very additionally minimalist uh, instrument display along the bottom of the screen that was there. Uh, for the entire time that you were playing. And so you had your shields and the laser fire and uh, they all end your boosters. So you could recharge your shields using boosters. And this all appeared in this little just rectangle with a diagonal stripe through it. And the diagonal stripe represented your two side-by-side lasers, left and right cannon. And then 
your shields, as you took damage, would go down and recharge slowly over time. Then you had these little pyramid wedges for your additional ammo, like the missiles and grenades, and your lives. So in most games, you started with a finite number of lives, and then it was last man standing. So whoever whoever was still had lives remaining when everyone else was knocked out would be the winner of the game if it happened within the time limit, which is usually something like, you know, five, ten minutes. Yeah, and speaking of these these kind of deathmatch uh, style of play, that is probably the majority of a Vera multiplayer usage. But there were also the other multiplayer modes that you're probably familiar with through other things like Call of Duty or Team Fortress. Things like Capture the Flag or King of the Hill or taking a, a ball and putting it through a hoop. There were some very creative games that were were done with this. A couple of them were just the standard ball in a goal games, but then there was some flexibility in terms of the programming and the win conditions for any game. And so it could just be time with the ball. Um, and so you could have one of those games where like you have to accumulate 60 seconds with the ball, but as soon as you pick it up, it slows you down massively. And so everyone can just come and shoot you. <laughs> and and you probably lose the ability to fire at least your secondary weapons, if not all of them. Yeah, because otherwise that would that would throw the ball back out into the field of play. You're wearing the ball as a hat this time. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Puts a target right on you. One of the other things that was interesting about Avera is just the way that multiplayer games were set up. So, again, the, this was working within the assumptions that most people were connecting via not broadband connections, but modem connections, and still trying to get the best experience for people using those very slow connections. And I know that I played all of my Avera over modem AOL connections, and it was not good. <laughs> um, and the way that you played an online game of Avera was that you logged into a server. There were trackers that would keep track of various servers that you could log into. You could have public or private servers. And each server hosted up to six players because there was, as far as I understand it, we're going to link to an interview with the creator of the game, Yuri Munki, who uh, who explains a little bit of how this worked out. But there was very custom network code that went into it. And it was just like six players even on like pretty good latency was the absolute maximum of what they could do to get this smooth gameplay. Because I think it said that the sort of internals of what the network system was sending was 16 frames a second of action, which is pretty high resolution, especially if you're trying to push that over a modem. So, you know, I think that it was doing things like rendering locally, which helps a lot, but it, it was pretty advanced for its time. So you could get six players together in a room and uh, before you started a game, you had two main windows. You had your level selection window, and then you had the player window. And the, it had several tabs along it. And the first one was the overview tab. And it also served as chat. There was a tab called chat that showed more of a, like a traditional chat, like you would expect. Someone types something and hits enter, and then it shows up there, and there's a chronological list scrolling back. But in the overview window what you had was under each person's name was live chat, keystroke by keystroke. So not like so-and-so is typing kind of notifications, but just every single letter. And then when you hit return to send something to chat, you actually got the little like uh, L on a side character indicating a return. That character that I knew primarily from programming in HyperTalk. Yes, yes. So it's that same kind of, same kind of use. Then you also had individual tabs for each of the players, and there it showed uh, where they were in the world with the little map graphic from the scrapbook. <laughs> and it also had statistics on their internet connection, including their ping time, which was often quite bad. <laughs> and would sometimes, if your ping time was bad enough, you might just get booted from server. So then whoever started the server had a lot of control over what could go on on the server. And you could allow for other players to actually load up level files. So everyone had to have a downloaded copy of the level file, but then someone could pick a level out of their selection and say, hey, everybody, we're playing this. Everyone on the server who had it would be listed as ready to join the game. Uh, people would type check marks 
in the chat, like spam check marks, the option V check marks to say, yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then you would drop into the game and the chaos begins immediately. You know, you can, <laughs> you can be dead within a second. Before we get into our interview with Scarlet Swordfish and talking about uh, this commemorative live stream of Avera playthrough, a little bit of the history of the development because it has some nice tie-ins with the early Mac and Apple community. Uh, so like we said, its creator, Yuri, began work on Avera kind of indirectly as just working on a library to render polygons in late 1992, uh, which gives it a feeling of of really how advanced this was for its time. Well, he said that he wanted to be doing 3D graphics all the way from the Apple II era, and he just knew that it wasn't possible given the hardware. And so basically, as soon as he got his hands on a Mac that had any chance of doing this, even if it required a lot of really down-and-dirty custom code uh, written in assembly and that kind of thing, he was going for it. And so uh, this is taken from uh, this interview that we're going to link to with him and the game's Wikipedia page. But it says that uh, his library progressed so nicely that it actually like was still operating in 2D, the kind of basic transformations of the polygons, you know, changing their size, rotating them, etc., that it it still looked 3D. And so uh, Yuri went to WWDC in 1994 to kind of uh, shop the library around and, and work with people. Which is so awesome because he's from Finland and WWDC, I think it was in San Jose then, but it was in California. So he was really seriously into this. And so there was a meeting with an Apple games evangelist that unfortunately didn't come to pass, but uh, he still did get to meet with some people, including the developer of Bolo, another beloved classic Mac game, who was at the time trying to work on an actual 3D library. And so uh, some partnerships were formed, including another one with a, another developer, Christian France, who uh, was trying to work on his own BSP binary space partitioning library, uh, which is another way to uh, approximate and, and get 3D graphics uh, through the re recursion of dividing scenes into uh, two and over and over again. I just opened up this Wikipedia page and my eyes are glazing over. This is this is where you get into that part of 3D graphics where people are doing very complex math. And I'm really glad that they can do it and figure it out and give us beautiful results because... I may have the raw math talent for it, but I don't have the patience. <laughs> and, and speaking of these beautiful results, one of the fruits of this BSP library labor was what they call a stress test that were freely moving turrets, uh, basically the, like the cockpit area of the eventual Hectors. And when he posted about it on the Usenet channel comp.sys.mac.games, it attracted the attention of Andrew Welch, the president, El Presidente of Ambrosia Software. And they began working on it together and adding features that would flesh this stress test of a 3D library into a full game. So they worked on additional features of the gameplay. They added the ability for these turrets to walk around. And then he started working on this network code to get it playing over the network and there's kind of a sad anecdote in this story where he's like yeah so this was happening in 95 and 96 and put together this really kind of complex bespoke networking code to get it really solid for two player and good for four player and just maxing out the system at six player and they were testing it back and forth and he was in finland and ambrosia was in the u.s and they were test you know doing play testing and stuff like that and then apparently he was forced to switch isps in finland basically right as the game was coming out and whatever happened you know probably his old isp went out of business or something whatever happened he wound up with a much higher latency connection and he said yeah after the game was published i was basically unable to play it because he was in the same situation that i was on those those crummy aol connections and man people knew the ip block by heart when they saw you like you didn't even have to say anything they're like oh you're on aol um 
but it's really unfortunate that he didn't get to uh, see the fruits of his labor in the end, in, in, in the way that he intended, in the way that he put it together so that it actually works. I mean, I did play a couple, like maybe once or twice on a local network, and it was just like, it was an epiphany compared to trying to play it over a modem, and then seeing it just recently being played over modern broadband connection. Yeah, like you have to jump through some hoops to get a classic Mac environment playing on modern broadband, but when your ping's down to 7 milliseconds, 14 milliseconds, the game really sings. To kind of tie that anecdote to a close, uh, he mentions like, but, you know, it's not too bad. At that point, I've been basically playing the game every day for two years of development. Yeah, he said he was uh, ready for a little change of pace. Yeah. And then, of course, some of the things that really wrapped up the Avera package were the names that went with it. So he said the, the turrets and then the tanks weren't originally called Hectors. That was clearly an Ambrosia influence. But the name of the game itself, Avera, as we pronounce it, some other people pronounce it Avara. And uh, the Finnish people, there was one Finnish person uh, who was speaking on the Twitch stream, pronounce it Avara, which is the n- native way to pronounce it in Finnish. Well, it's at least as close as I can <laughs> try to replicate that. And the word in Finnish means like wide open or spacious. So it's kind of a nod to the minimalist style of the game. And he says that the the first few levels were quite empty. You had a few boxes scattered and then a total desert around them. I guess it's still like that most of the time. So he said it was appropriate. And the thing, though, was that, yes, some of those very first multiplayer arenas, it's just like four spawn points in a box, go kill yourselves. Um, but the levels progressed and got better and better over time because they were open to third-party design. But before we get to the level design, I suppose we should talk a little bit about Avera's success as being published by Ambrosia Software. Yeah, as we've mentioned already, Avera definitely stood out in Ambrosia's roster of games. Uh, like Ed mentioned, a lot of the early ones were ports or or homages to successful arcade games. So the gameplay mechanic was already tested and true. And uh, they definitely had artists on staff or that they were publishing uh, who could really polish the finite set of sprites that were needed to animate and make the game look good. Uh, so things like Escape Velocity, Maelstrom, uh, Barrack were all like well done and well received games, and it wasn't for lack of like effective gameplay that uh, made Avera not so much a commercial success. But it, I think it was that it it stood out. It didn't fit in with a lot of Ambrosia's other games. Uh, it also like it was very forward thinking, but it was also a, at the end of a two-year development cycle, and there were other similar enough games starting to come out like Descent or even Doom and other uh, early first-person general shooters. Or Marathon on the Mac. Uh, And then finally, there's an interesting note on the Wikipedia page that also, as an Ambrosia title, it used Ambrosia's shareware licensing system. Which is basically the honor system. Yeah. We've we've talked about Captain Hector and Escape Velocity, who does actually start to pursue you with weapons if you exceed the 30-day trial period without paying. But Avera really had no such mechanism. So people could download it off of Ambrosia's site and basically keep playing it without needing to register it. Right. Even all of the full multiplayer features were unlocked in the unpaid for unregistered version, not even limitations on like joining servers, creating servers, loading custom levels. That was all open. So yeah, I can see how that didn't exactly inspire everyone to pull out their wallets, especially because it sounds like now that the target audience, the people who really loved Avera are basically our age and we're kids then. And if you were able to get a game entirely for free, you weren't going to go spend your money on it when you're in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And you may be needing to uh, chip in towards the like 
rated by the minute dial-up service that you're using to play Avera. Right, or the like four megabyte RAM upgrade that you're going in halvesies with your parents on. (laughs) All of which I think both of us have done. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, it was really open to third-party level design. The format for creating levels is a little bit weird, and I think I've mentioned this on a previous episode. So you had to build these 3D worlds, and you did it in this top-down 2D fashion. But things could stack on top of each other in complex ways. You could have, you know, imagine you could have, like, ramps going up one above each other and overlapping or crisscrossing. That was totally possible in a Vera level design. And the way that they did that was they used the multi-layer picked format. And this was essentially the exact same thing that Clarisworks used as its draw documents, its vector draw documents. And so the way, <laughs> the semi-official way of creating Avera levels was to open up Clarisworks and start a draw document. And if you created just a box, it would be a default height box and you could go and jump on it. And you could create different heights by, believe it or not, cha- using a round rect and changing the corner radius of the rectangle. So um, I think there was also a way that with certain objects like the spawn points or the power-ups or the ammo, you would put a little, usually like an arc or a circle in the document, and then you would need to have some specifications for it. Like, this is three grenades, or this is a spawn point. And to do that, you would put a text box in the next layer up that had this sort of pseudocode or almost like HTML, you have attributes for for a tag it was like those were your attributes for this vector image that was one layer down so some people you know in the beginning this led to additional minimalist levels but some people got really painstaking and detailed with it it was tough because clarisworks was not dedicated to that uh to that purpose and you didn't have robust like layering controls or anything like that But it was possible, and people created some very, very advanced levels. But there were some people who weren't quite satisfied with all of the variables, even that this level format gave you. Like I said, you could you could build kind of any any shapes that you wanted, um, as long as they were mostly squares. (laughs) Um, But you you could do cubic solids, you could do ramps, uh, and you could put all of these things together in in a Really, it it was minimal a start, but it was a very pleasing way. But there were some people who wanted to extend Avera further. They wanted to actually get in and change the gameplay beyond things like how many missiles you got, what kind of damage they did, how fast they went, what the gravity was, what the friction was. These were all things that were possible in the original level format, but they wanted to go beyond. And so there was this project in 2000. It was released. It was a big user-created mod to Avera. So they actually went in and basically just altered the binary, as far as I can tell. They altered the application itself, the resources, and some of the and some of the code, and released this game that was called Avera Aftershock. And I don't know what Ambrosia's official position on it was. It was not distributed through them. It was distributed through a fan site that was avera.org, and we'll have a link to the archived version of that from the Wayback Machine in the show notes. And you can see all the people who were involved and some of the differences that were in Avera Aftershock. I think it still piggybacked on enough system-level resources that it respected your license and your registration for Avera. So it wasn't like it was would be stealing potential business from Ambrosia. But again, yeah, I don't know what their official stance on it ever was. Right, and... But it was separate enough that it wasn't just loading on a level pack. You didn't open up Avera and then load in Aftershock. They were two separate applications that you would keep side by side in the Finder, which was always a little bit interesting. And that led a little bit also to the fragmentation and kind of breakdown in the momentum that Avera had as a game and as a community, because... Some people wanted to play Aftershock and some people wanted to play original Avera and you couldn't like be on the same server. You couldn't just make a spur of the moment decision to go to one from one to the other because they were two totally separate applications. 
Aftershock introduced some things, uh, like they tried to make the plasma weapons uh, more of a central piece and give them like ammo so that they didn't recharge and you'd have to pick up ammo uh, like clips. Uh, as they pointed out in the Twitch stream, a lot of this was seems like it was taking inspiration from Marathon. Some of the sound effects were in fact like lifted from Marathon. So they weren't, they weren't like really big on respecting intellectual property here. They were just trying to create something new and taking it to the next level because they were kind of hoping for an Avera sequel and saw that it wasn't coming. But I think some of the most innovative and really most aesthetically pleasing level design went on in Aftershock. The the levels that you see loaded up in Aftershock, they usually take on sort of like a single thematic color, sort of dark monochromatic uh, color patterns and just taking that and using it for not only just the overall color of the objects in the world, but adding details. So if you have a building or a ramp, adding stripes and details and very fine work that would have taken a long, long time because you would see something that looked like it had stripes or something, but they would all be separate objects. Or you would see a wall with some kind of art on it, and that would be created individually out of, you know, 20-some different polygons in that level format. So it really was a labor of love and people people created some really cool environments out of it. Speaking of those people, one of the most remarkable things to me about watching this 20th anniversary live play stream was the strength of the community um and like this group of people getting together to play and as we will discuss with uh, Scarlet Swordfish the the level of talent they still exhibit for playing a game that turned 20 a couple weeks ago. So now we'd like to welcome to Simple Beep Scarlet Swordfish, who was the organizer of recent event happened this past weekend as we record celebrating the 20th anniversary of Avera. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about the 20th anniversary event that you put together and what that involved? Um, well, it was inspired by um, a... Uh, live stream that uh, Richard Moss, who is a, a game and Mac writer, uh, did a couple months ago um, where he uh, streamed um, the classic Ambrosia software game Escape Velocity um, and to promote his book, The Secret History of Mac Gaming. Um, so, and I realized that the 20th anniversary of Avara is coming up. And I wanted to do something special for that because it's one of my favorite games. So um, I had never really done a Twitch stream before. So, uh, and doing something on a classic Mac, like getting video off of that and onto the internet is not the easiest thing to do. Um, so I had to buy some special hardware. Um, I upgraded my MacBook Pro to make sure it was... Uh, up to snuff for the streaming duties. And I, uh, just kind of, uh, went around to contact people I thought might be interested in, in, uh, watching or watching it during the stream or later and let them know about it. Yeah. So you mentioned escape velocity and I know that one of the things that's, it's interesting why I look in the analytics for our website, one of the pages that people keep going back to is the little page we put together on like how to get escape velocity running on a modern Mac, because that's like, that's the first step in going back and experiencing any of these games is just how do I run the thing? And so one of the things that's nice about Ambrosia is that at this point, their website is still up and you can download directly from them. But then it is that question of the hardware and software that you have set up to actually get it going. Mm -hmm. And uh, the machine I was playing on is a 2001 iBook um, running OS 9 natively. Um, Avara can kind of run emulated, but networking um, for net games doesn't really work. You can really only play with two players at once. Um, so to get a full multiplayer game going, 
you really need to be playing on an old machine running OS 9. And it can also play, you can also play online in classic environment, but uh, the aiming is not really very good in that. It's a little herky jerky. <laughs> aiming being kind of a crucial part of the game, it being a sort of an early first person shooter type game where you want to have as good a performance as possible. Right. And my aim's already bad enough without the <laughs> the cursor jumping all around the screen. But so you were able, since you were running on, on original hardware, uh, to get it set up running under OS nine and then you know, hooked up to your current modern fast broadband connection. Yeah. Um, I had to, I had to hardwire it over, uh, ethernet because, um, OS nine airport doesn't support, uh, WPA two security. Well, you could have just letting your Avera games get hacked mercilessly, but <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very good, very good alternative. No, not in this neighborhood. <laughs> so it sounds like your iBook was it doing some kind of video out into your MacBook Pro, which was then sending it to Twitch. Mm-hmm. So I had, um, I was using the Mini Display Port, and that was hooked up to. Um, a VGA splitter because the iBook screen doesn't work. So I had to have an external monitor. Um, and then it was also going to um, an Epifan AVIO HD video capture card. And that was transmitting the video over uh, USB to my MacBook Pro. And the MacBook Pro was streaming to the internet using. OBS, which is a streaming software that's free to use. It sounds like a real Rube Goldberg device, so we're we're glad that it works. It is very much. So going back to when you first discovered Avera and didn't need three monitors and special hardware to play it, how did you find it in the first place? And what did you find the community to be like then as opposed to now where we have you know some diehards still going with it, like yourself, and then people who are now coming back and experiencing it for the first time in a while, or maybe for the first time at all, thanks to this 20th anniversary. I didn't start playing Avara until well past the game's prime. I first started playing online in 2003. So what do we think the, the prime was then? I think the it seemed like... From what I've read um, on old archives of older Avara websites and forums, it kind of peaked around 2000. Um, that's when you know there was a lot of um, discussion on level design and level design competitions and things like that happening. And then after that, it slowly started to drop off. So um, by the time I started playing there were really just a handful of players in the world still um, into the game. And I think they were all sort of new to it like I was. So I had maybe um, three or four people I played with regularly from 2003 to 2005 or six. And were you on, you were on broadband by that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was playing on a, an Emac running um, 10.3, so I was running in classic environment, which, again, the aim wasn't great, but it was better than nothing. I promise you, if, if the only thing that was bad about the aim was, like, the frame rate, then that over broadband was probably no worse than when Avera first came out and we were all playing over dial-up. <laughs> Watching the stream, it was fun for me to see you and, and the people who played with you uh, kind of see a, a, the name of a level come up, like, oh, this one, this one. Um, were there members within the Avera community uh, that stuck out to you also as, like, a trusted level designer? Um, yeah. Um, there are definitely some that I I know really well. Um, Silver Fox um, probably designed some of the most aesthetically pleasing levels that also had a very good gameplay flow. Um, they tended to be very um, symmetrical in their layout and have nice um, cohesive color palettes um, and also little uh, decorative design touches 
that didn't really impact, you know, um, gameplay or frame rate that much, but just those extra little touches that made it look really nice. Uh, another designer whose levels I really like are, is a uh, plastic chicken and <laughs> his levels tended to be a little more zany and, um, not always the best gameplay wise, but, um, they some of them had really fun gimmicks like uh uh data path took took place inside of a a giant computer with circuit boards and chips and a hard drive um and there was uh the toilet level where you could flush your enemies down a toilet if they fall in <laughs> and just crazy stuff like that really colorful levels it's crazy to think that that was all developed in this flat 2D level design structure with extremely minimal coding. Some of the kind of more advanced mechanics that people were able to put together on top of the engine were were pretty impressive, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, when I was younger, I'd printed out the Avara level design manual and kept it in a nice clear plastic binder and read it cover to cover and made notes in the margins. And um, I never successfully made a level of my own, but it was really interesting. It really helped me understand how um, how the game worked and how the game worked and how levels could be designed and how games sort of worked in general. Um, it had um, it had a its own scripting system that you could you know script events to happen on. You know, if you cross a certain threshold or you step on a certain platform or you kill a certain enemy, it could create, it could activate this whole chain of events. Um, I've seen levels where, uh, solo levels where designers um, made sort of like NPC hectares um, that you could, you could talk to and they would give you dialogue in the in the instrument window. Yeah, some of those were were pretty involved. I had a couple of level designs. I did some level design. I don't know that I ever published any of it. And I think that the files might be lost to history. There's maybe one computer left in the world that might have a copy of them, and it's in another state, and I have to go investigate <laughs> whether they still exist. But I do remember that it was extremely painstaking. You could get the very basics of it down pretty quickly, but because it relied on all of those layers in the file, but it was the primary authoring utility was Claris works because it saved out to this multi-layer picked format that Avera could read directly. And then you could package up into a level bundle with all the other resources that it needed. And the fact was that ClarisWorks was not designed to, have, you know, it, it had layering within the draw documents, but it was not designed to give you like, a robust readout of the 300 elements that were in your document. And if things got out of layering, you were completely sunk because then you had to basically take every single element and send it to the back in order to get everything, <laughs> everything working again. Or, you know, you had no version control. You had one undo. So it was, it was nice that it was open to the entire community, but it definitely required a lot of patience and attention to detail that not everyone who just wanted to play the game had. Right. Um, and I think those who, who, uh, did put the, the real effort into their levels, um, the, the hard work really shows. Yeah. The one level that I remember creating that I was kind of proud of, it was like an indoor arena level and it had lots of very low lying areas where you couldn't actually see where people were, but it had, pillars that stuck up from them that would take damage and glow. So you could see like where battles were happening around the map. Um, but like I said, maybe totally, totally lost at this point. Certainly won't be able to find it before we publish this episode, but uh, maybe sometime later this fall. Uh, I, I'm definitely, you know, it's been brought back to my mind. I'll be on the lookout for it now. Another aspect of the community apart from the designers, were, of course, the the people that you played with and against. And uh, we have a question here that I think was somewhat answered in the stream, but for the purposes of this interview, uh, were you on a Veriline? And if so, what was that like? I basically lived on a Veriline in high school. Let's just, I'm just going to put that out there. I've said that on the show before. And I mean, one of the things, 
one of the reasons I wound up spending just a whole bunch of time in a Veriline was because my family still had dial-up and actually setting up a Vera games and playing in them successfully didn't really go so well. So it was more fun to just hang out with the people. <laughs> yeah, I think at some point there was some sort of a split where um, there were two competing Vara lines at some point. So I was um, I hung out a little bit on the Avara line that Robin Hood was in charge of, um, but mostly um, the f- players that I hung out with, we hung out in um, the Ambrosia Software Avara forum for um, permanent long term uh, chatting, and the Ambrosia Software uh, IRC Avara channel. I mean that that's what got me onto IRC. This game got me into IRC um, onto my first internet forum, which was the ASW forums. Um, it's sort of introduced me to the the wider internet community, um, and so yeah. And Avarline now exists as an its uh, own IRC channel on its own network. Um, it's irc.avaraline.net, which uh, there's there's a f- still a few people. I think there's, uh, I don't know, 10 to 14 people in there right now. That's pretty good. I mean, that's that's kind of what Averaline was like on Hotline 10, 12 years ago. So it's it's impressive that you know some of those same people have, have stuck together for this time. That really was a community that didn't just disband because people moved on to other games. And I think most of uh, some of the players that I, um, I played with back in the day, we sort of moved on to other things. We did have our own, uh, little forum called the Avara guild, which is still up. And, uh, it's, it's pretty hilarious to look back on. Um, we were just sort of snobby, annoying teenagers at the time. Yeah. I mean, you said that it introduced you to, so many other parts of the internet. And for me, it was the first multiplayer game that I played where people were like, Oh, we're in clans and, you know, we play together and you, you know, you would want to play with people who were like affiliated with you. And I remember people being like, Oh, you, you want to come on this Severa server and we'll have like clan interviews and see if you can beat one of our guys and then you can join the clan. Yeah. So it was, it was very much, uh, I think an intro to, to just, online multiplayer gaming for for many people because the the engine that allowed for the communication i think you know the real-time chat in avera was one of the things that's really unique about it especially at that point character by character chat it's not something that we see and even today we expect that you'll be able to see you know so-and-so is typing kind of notifications uh, that are still standard in like iMessage and Slack today, but you don't expect to actually like every key press uh, goes out into the world. And it gave it a different kind of vibe in Avera than in other places on the internet. Yeah, it makes it harder to take back something that you typed impulsively and might be regrettable. <laughs> you mentioned that you've uh, moved on to playing other games. Uh, is there any comparison you can see between your sec your second wave of playing Avera online and maybe some more typical esports communities today. Honestly, I don't I don't play a lot of games um, na- uh, nowadays. Um, I, the last big game I played was Undertale, and that was <laughs> like nine months ago already. Um, but when I was playing other games, um, like I was also into Halo at the time. Um, for the Mac and that, I mean, it was definitely a lot more populous community, but it didn't have the same, um, it wasn't as personal because you were just jumping on random servers and random games and players came and went. Um, whereas with Avara, it was just, it was pretty much just the handful of us and we played with each other all the time. Um, and, and I didn't really get into communities for other games, um, like that. I did, um, beta test a few other games for Ambrosia software. I beta tested, uh, Redline 
and Sketch Fighter. And those were, again, those were playing with um, people that I already knew from the forums. So we already had that sort of community before we started getting into the game. Yeah, so there's been this small community that has really persisted, and I think that's really great. So what was the community response like for the 20th anniversary event? It seemed like there was actually a really good response. And I know that at one point during the event, the creator of Avera, Yuri Munki, was actually there in the chat talking with people. So what was that like and just how big was the response? Based on the, the number of people I had told about it and the, the places I spread the word about it, it was... Um it ranged from, okay, that's kind of neat, to, uh, hey, this is exciting. I'm going to go watch. I'll clear my evening. Um, and I, I I got a couple people who hadn't played the game before and but were interested in older Mac games um, who came and watched and enjoyed it. And uh, there were, you know, other uh, players from a bar from Avara line and uh, from back in the day who um, came to watch a couple of the players that I played with um, in my time. So it, uh, I was pretty satisfied with the response. I think we had around um, 20, 18 to 20 users in the chat. And yeah, like you said, uh, Yuri Munki came in uh, and was talking, giving his little uh, commentary on uh, the development of the game. And that was really special to me. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really great to get support from the creator of the game himself. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that you four guys who were actually in on the server and playing and, you know, we saw it all from, from your perspective because you were streaming, but the four of you seem to be pretty up on your Avera skills. I don't know. You know, I, I think that you guys were, definitely demonstrating the level to which the game could be played. I, I think that's why Brian made the comparison to eSports is that like, you know, this was, this was being treated as, as a serious game, not just some sort of little toy box where, you know, you're running around and showing it off. It, it looked it, even though, you know, you mentioned in, in the, in the feed, like the graphics don't hold up. There's no anti-aliasing. This is not what you expect from a modern game, but in terms of showing off gameplay, I think you guys did a really good job. Oh, thank you. Um, I I kind of regret that I was the only one who was able to stream because I think it would be um, I'm I was the worst player there, and I died a lot. It felt very authentic for me for that reason. <laughs> it took me right back. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, I think the game definitely can be played too. You know, if you invested the amount of time in it. Um, it probably could be taken to a professional eSport level. The gameplay is definitely solid and, um, you know, there's, there, it's the kind of game that, you know, you could um, build a league around. Well, and just the, the flexibility and the depth that where there are so many variables in the level design that you would have to be a flexible player. You can't just play one style. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the certain gameplay elements are, are very predictable, like the, um, the arc of the grenades and where they're going to land and, um, being able to evade missiles by going around corners and repeated jumping, you can jump. Yeah. Double jumping. Those are the kinds of skills that you can get really good at and, um, um, perfect to a certain degree. I think we've played at least once a year since um, for the past how many years. So it's, you know, it's fun to just dust, shake the dust off a little bit. But as far as how seriously we take the game, we just like to have fun nowadays. We're not getting super into it. <laughs> That's good. Oh, my whole life depends on this one match. I'm going to earn a billion dollars. No, we just like having fun. That's great. So towards the end of the stream, you, know, you, you said uh, at the beginning when you came into the game around 2003 and that you thought that it kind of peaked around 2000, maybe 2001. And one of the things that came in around 2000, 2001 was a Vera Aftershock, which I, I think you're right that people wanted to, because it was a fan mod, people are trying to give a Vera like a shot in the arm to keep it going and keep it fresh. 
And so it seemed like you thought that it had some pluses and minuses, that there was some more innovative gameplay, but maybe not as balanced as the original Avera. Yeah, I think um, there were uh, there were seven different hull types instead of three in the original Avera, and um, you know uh, instead of having um, rechargeable weapons and shields, you uh, you would have to um, collect power ups to recharge those or refill those, um, and it it did really change the the gameplay balance in in a way that I never really got used to. Um, but I don't know how well received it was at the time or how, how much it was played. Um, but it's, it's still really interesting, um, to see how much the game could be, um, changed and overhauled. And I think some of the, some of the ways it was changed were not just like simple physics tweaks. They were editing, seriously editing some of the resources, uh, in the core of the game. Um, and I think it, if someone, uh, were dedicated enough, it, it could even be a, a completely different game with, um, you know, completely different graphics. But, um, at this point there's really, um, no reason to do that. It's probably easier to build a game from scratch. Yeah. And I know that there are actually, I think there's, there's a clone of Avera that's written in Python, uh, but it has a million and one dependencies, so I've never tried actually <laughs> actually getting it running. But it's supposed to be cross-platform, and so th- there are people who are are dedicated to that level. Yeah, there have been many uh, attempts over the years to make a, a sequel or to Avera or to port it to um, OS X, and um, most of them have fallen through the designers just felt it was too overwhelming or they got busy with other things and they just abandoned their projects. Um, the, the Python one, um, if you're referring to, uh, Pavara is something I've, um, been kind of involved in just tangentially. Um, it's something that some of the folks in of our line right now are working on in their spare time. Well, best of luck to them on that. And I, you know, if it, if it actually gets to the point where it's a point and click installer, I know I'll definitely be playing. <laughs> Are there any other memories from playing uh, back in the early two thousands or more recently that you'd like to share? Uh, a little while after I started playing online uh, in two thousand three. Um, I had just gotten my own, you know, I was playing on an EMAC and it was my own that I had in my own room. And, uh, <laughs> my parents grounded me one night for staying up too late and playing online. Cause uh, it was, it was really the first game I'd played online too. And, uh, I was excited to, I knew it was kind of dying. So I wanted to get in as much as gameplay as I could while there were still players around. That's really funny. I, I think you're right though, that, it definitely still has that appeal where even today, you know, here we are at the 20th anniversary, but people look back at it and they see just the simple design of the Hector and they go, oh, that's like a cool machine. It's rendered really simply or it's rendered with 20 years ago technology, but there's still something about it that people today kind of appreciate and say that that's a cool concept and and can see how people, uh, especially you know, people our age who are kids and teenagers when it was in its prime really latched onto it. Mm -hmm. And I think nowadays you can like back when it was released and for years afterwards, it it kind of looked, it looked increasingly primitive compared to the, the newer games that were coming out like quake and unreal. And this graphics just kept getting better and better. But I think nowadays there's a real attractiveness to it where, you know, it has a minimalism that you can you can look past all the the glitzy graphics and um, you know just focus on the gameplay, which is still really great and unique, and also appreciate it on its own aesthetic level, where it's just minimal graphics and extremely low poly and solid colors and no textures. And it's sort of a, it's almost sort of modern in its own way. Yeah. And it's, it's remarkable that it ran on basically any Mac that you could throw it at. I got it to run on a, 
a PowerBook 180 in four colors. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that sums it up pretty well. So we're going to link up to the archived Twitch stream because if people want to see Avera gameplay, I think I think at this point that's like your best place to go on the internet um, to see a lot of how it really looked. And so we'll link up to that. And is there any place else that you would like people to find you online? Um, you can join. Uh, you can go on Facebook and search for Avara Line and join that the Avara Line Facebook group. You can go on IRC on your favorite client um, and uh, join the irc.avaraline.net server um, and join the Avara Line channel. Um, I think those are probably your best places to uh, talk to people about the game. All right. Well, thank you, Scarlet Swordfish, for joining us, and thank you for putting together this event because it uh, it really brought the game back to our minds, and we really enjoyed it. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for th- having me. Like I said, we're going to have a link to the gameplay footage archived on Twitch in our show notes, which you can find on our website, simplebeep.com. And we'll also have links to the official Avera website where you can still download the game and you can still download a whole bunch of level packs. It's a little bit kind of, uh, kind of disorganized. It's just like, here's like 200 level packs. So you have to, if you're really interested in going and exploring, you can kind of search for some of the names, uh, the big names that you see in the, in the Twitch video. But it's fun to just go in and explore and see that, you know, some people produced some uh, really lousy levels, but some of them were really great for gameplay and really kept Avera going all this time. If you'd like to get in touch with us, maybe about your favorite Avera level or Avera memory, you can do that also on our website, simplebeep.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at simple underscore beep. You can find each of us individually on Twitter. I'm at ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. And I'm at Bisuto, B-S-U-T-O. And this is our final episode that we're going to put out before we go to release notes. So that's coming up the 27th through 29th of September in Indianapolis. And so if any of our listeners are there, come find us because we would love to talk to you. And uh, we think that it's going to be a really great event. We're also going to be doing some special recordings there that'll be coming up for our next couple episodes, and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, If you haven't checked out the Release Notes website, go ahead and check them out at releasenotes.tv. Looks like a really incredible speaker lineup. Uh, Tons of people from the Mac community, and we're really excited to participate in it. And then to bring some of it to you guys over the next couple episodes. We'll leave you with some incredible background music from a very special Avera level. Yes, so you could customize those Avera levels so much you could also add music. This is uh, the soundtrack to the delightful Avera level Lion Ball. <laughs> <laughs>